Guys, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of SoCal Watch Reviews. This is Miguel. This is episode 23. Boys, we made it. P. Ross, Fred, Shaluso. How are you guys doing? Good, What's going man. On? What's good? What's good? Hey, so Fred, it's good to have you back. I know you went to Dubai. Uh, we missed you in the Holy Trinity episode. We definitely need to catch up with you and get your take on that. How you doing? Good, good. Yeah, no doubt. Like, it, was, it was crazy. Like when I, when I saw the message from you, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, my God, I've been sitting and filming watches for six hours. And I was still at the store when when you messaged. I was like, oh, my God, how the fuck has time passed so fast? So, um, so yeah, it sucks that I missed last week, but hopefully we'll get to sort of recover it again. Uh, but Dubai was amazing. So uh, definitely something else to cover on another podcast, perhaps. But it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Good to talk to you guys and, uh, and to welcome another guest to the, to the podcast as well. Yeah, we do have a guest, but before I introduce them, let me do this little announcement or shout out, if you would. Um, so a lot of people listening, you, you probably don't know this. Obviously, we, there's a lot of uh, podcasts out there, you know, I'm not going to name them all, but there's a lot of watch podcasts out there. And again, behind closed doors, a lot of us do talk and we're friends or friends. I throw that, that term very loosely, but, you know, we, we know each other. We know of each other and we try to help each other out whenever we can. And I know Scottish Watches is probably one of the biggest watch podcasts out there. Uh, and I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get one of the Houdinki guys, Cole, over on their show. So what they're doing, they're kind of rallying up the troops, if you would. And uh, basically, Houdinki, on their Houdinki podcast, uh, episode 79, they had something called Budget Watch Collection Fantasy Draft 2020. Had a few of the staffers go in and basically select their their favorite right? like a budget collection like what would you pick as a everyday you know uh, a complication a flex piece a dress piece and uh cole the guy that they're trying to get on the show actually picked some really nice stuff zen uh 556 a vintage uh universal geneva pearl router an omega flight master a seiko uh captain willard flex piece was a rolex air king so i i personally like that collection but what they're doing is they want everybody to vote for him and in the description as to why you voted for him they they want you to just basically say hey we want uh, cole on the scottish watches podcast and put a hashtag vote cole 2020 so yeah do that i did it you know i screenshotted it put it on instagram maybe have that so yeah we it will be interesting to hear a houdinki scottish watches mashup i think that would be very fun you know the the tim Mosso episode they did was amazing uh tim Mosso's a beast <laughs> so i i thought that episode was super cool so that was kind of the shout out I wanted to do. I they asked me if I could uh, promote it on the on the podcast. I said sure, absolutely. They're they're cool guys, so why not? You know what I mean. So with that said, I uh, want to introduce a very special guest. He's been listening to the show for a while. Uh, I reached out to him because of the topic we're gonna discuss, which is very interesting, and I think everybody listening should pay attention. Uh, and his name is Doctor Brian. Uh, and he, you can find him on Instagram at Dr. Watcherman. So, Dr. Brian, how's it going? Good, gentlemen. Thank you for uh, having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for accepting our invitation. And today we're going to talk about the coronavirus. 
a uh, little bit about the virus itself and of course how it's affected the watch world and yeah let's let's uh we could definitely talk about that but before we do uh we want a little bit of we'll know a little bit more about you what, what got you into watches and you know your collection and and whatnot sure so i'm a 36 year old cardiologist in massachusetts uh, my wife is also a physician. We have two kids, uh, a dog and a cat. Um, when it comes okay. to watches, it all started with my father. Um, uh, my father grew up quite poor uh, in the housing projects in Brooklyn and, oh. uh, you know, did really well for himself. And, you know, combined with hard work and, and some, some luck, ended up going to college and then dental school and, and is a private practice uh, dentist in upstate New York. And uh, he was always a collector, uh, stamps and coins when he was a kid. And then when he kind of got into his 40s, um, he started collecting watches. And uh, he has a collection of about over 100 watches now, uh, everything wow. from, you know, some, some very basic cheap pieces to some, some high-end really nice stuff. And uh, pretty much most of the watches that started it for me started with him. Nice, nice, nice. So, so what, what age... Uh... Would you say you were when when you really got into watches? So I know I had some kind of cheaper digital watches uh, when I was when I was younger, but really it started in high school. Um, my father gave me, and I actually still have have the watch. It's a Wenger Swiss Army um, mm. GMT chronograph, two hundred meter water resistant. It's quartz, but uh, quite a nice watch. I didn't. I don't think I knew what half the complications were when I when I had it. Um, so I wore that through high school and, and I didn't really wear much of a watch. I didn't really wear a watch much during college. And then uh, when I graduated from undergraduate, uh, he gave me an Omega Seamaster GMT, uh, which I posted on my Instagram um, a lot. And uh, that was kind of the watch that really started my interest in watches. Uh, and then I wore that through medical school and residency and then uh, actually it had a very botched service, uh, which they damaged to the hands and, uh, the, and just had to be put in a drawer for a while till I could afford to, uh, to have it fixed. Wow. So what was, that, what was that piece for you then? What was the, the first piece you actually bought with your own money that you said, all right, cool, I'm going to get into this? So I had bought some Seikos, you know, when the, uh, the Seamaster was uh, out of commission, we'll say. Uh, I had mm -hmm. bought a, a couple Seiko 5s, uh, including, I think it's the SNK Field Watch. Uh, yep. and I, I wore that quite a bit uh, during, during cardiology fellowship. Um, and then in uh, 2017, Chrismica. So I'm, I'm half Jewish, half Christian, so I, I get Chrismica every year. Chrismica. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and uh, I, I bought myself an Apple Watch, actually, and I started wearing the Apple Watch uh, pretty frequently and uh, really enjoyed it for a little while. And then kind of got the itch for, uh, you know, more mechanical analog timepieces. OK, so what would be the, the first luxury piece you say you, you, you purchased yourself? Well, so, so I bought myself a Seiko cocktail time after the Apple Watch. Oh, nice. Blue dial? Uh, no, it was the kind of off-white. Uh, oh, the creamy. Yeah, creamy off-white yeah. dial. Really, beautiful, beautiful really watch. great watch. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of got, I threw myself all into the forums and learning about watches. That's kind of my personality. When I get into something, I go all in. And uh, I was, you know, p really 
paying attention to, to almost every watch that went up for sale and looking at prices. And then for Father's Day um, of last year, 2019, actually my father and I made a trade that was very favorable for me, but I ended up getting <laughs> the uh, Omega Speedmaster, Speedmaster Professional Beautiful. Um, that I have. And I ended up modifying that uh, with the pulsations bezel um, to make it into kind of a doctor's chronograph. Um, mm. Super cool. Super cool. Yeah. I've seen that. It's a cool, it's a cool modification, especially cause you're so used to using the tachymeter. One question about the pulsation scale. I mean, obviously it's, it was originally made for doctors, but do you find yourself using it sort of in your day to day? Is it a complement to, or a potential replacement for any, I guess, uh, normal equipment, or is it pretty much just a nice little detail that you can sort of use and show off from time to time? Have I used it? Yes. Do I need to use it? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we have. But do you find yourself looking for reasons to use it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. When I'm in clinic and wearing uh, either of my two pulsometer watches, I definitely go out of my way to use them to justify the purchases uh, or having yeah. them to myself. Hey, what do, what's what's the other one? The, uh, the other pulsation. I have a Seiko uh, sixty-one thirty-nine sixty twenty. Uh, one of the the Pogue generations. Um, that I got off uh, the wrist sushi forum um, that has a pulsations bezel. It's kind of a cushion square case um, speed timer, uh, which, which is very nice. And I highly recommend to anybody that's uh, in the market for one of those. Such a beautiful watch. Yeah, and I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm on your Instagram and I'm looking at it. So that looks, that looks super cool. Now, speaking of being on your Instagram, I mean, I love your wrist shots. Every single one of them. I mean, you got in the background, you you know, you're a doctor, so you're in the background. I can see the, the hospital and different things. I think it's super cool. But you got some nice pieces in your collection, doctor. I mean, you got JLC, right? A lot of Seiko, uh, Nomos. I mean, geez, uh, Omega, Cartier, which I'm assuming that's your wife's or maybe not. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, so I went after I after and I've uh, been on somewhat of a tear uh, since, you know, since June of last year. Um, but uh, yeah, I picked up that Nomos with the Doctors Without Borders uh, affiliation, which is a great watch. The Grand Seiko, uh, Anti-Magnetic, and the, the JLC are kind of some of the, the heavy hitters. That's the Blue Dial Geophysic uh, True Seconds, which is a limited edition of 100. Um, so the my collection's kind of focused around what I consider doctor's watches. So that would be pulsometers, um, and then watches, obviously, with a clear connection like that Nomos, which is a Doctors Without Borders issue. Uh, and then for me, anti-magnetics, because part of what I do is uh, read cardiac MRIs. Uh, so I'm around an MRI magnet, and uh, having anti-magnetic pieces is somewhat useful. And I also like the idea that it's more of a science-y tool watch, uh, most of the pieces that have that complication. Yeah, for sure. That was actually going to be one of my questions about uh, magnetism, but I mean, you just answered that question. So um, I guess, you know what, before we move on in our last episode, I, I think it was the last episode, I completely forgot to do a wrist check. So let's do that before we move forward, because we got questions, we got information we need to get into. But doctor, what are you wearing today? I am wearing the Omega Speedmaster Professional Pulsations Modification. So beautiful. That's a beautiful watch. Uh, guys, what are you guys wearing? Timex, Iron Man, Triathlon. Okay, classic. Mm -hmm. Nice. Fred? 
I got my Cartier Pasha on, my custom leather strap. Finally arrived. It arrived. The day oh, it came. Oh, it came. What? Yeah, yeah, it came. So I'm, I'm wearing that right now. It, it looks so cool. Like it completely changed this personality of it. It's nice getting it off the bracelet, and yeah, it's pretty much screwing over the other watches in my collection because it's just giving me more reason to keep wearing the Cartier. But uh, big <laughs> shout out to Coral Customs for making that, and I, I'm loving it. And I'm glad it finally arrived. Now I'm stuck with the dilemma of what to get next. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. Well, today I'm just wearing the uh, Bulova Lunar Pilot. So, very cool watch. It's a little large, you know, so I don't wear it very often, but it, it's a very charming watch. So, uh, yes, it's no Bulo, it's no uh, Omega Speedmaster, but it has the, the moon history uh, behind it. So, I, I like it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, well, the, 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 the Lunar Pilot's a great watch, and uh, you all did a great video on it, which I gave you a shout out on my Instagram for. Yes, so. you did. I didn't know that much about it beforehand, but it's a very cool piece. And obviously it plays in a different price range as the Omega, but still has that history. So I'm Absolutely. a fan. Yeah, no, I'm a fan of it too. Uh, and especially with this PVD dial, I mean, PV, PVD coated um, uh, case, it really makes it a little bit smaller. Cause I've tried on the other ones, obviously, you know, and, and this is the one that I was like, all right, this is the one for me. Cause it wants to seem a little too, too big, you know, but uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, we were chronographs I'm, I'm looking at your instagram so i know you're giving away a solar seiko is that correct i am giving away a seiko solar chronograph and uh the an- winner will be announced later today nice so what do people need Ooh. to do i mean if, if if this episode goes out early enough today and there's there's time what do they need to do to, uh, uh, unfortunately there's there's no time left the uh no time clo- left. Okay. It, it closed last night but uh, i will be announcing the winner um later on today that's cool. That's a nice watch. I've seen this plenty of times, especially that uh, kind of neo seventies kind of uh, NATO on it, right? Super. Yeah, cool. it's kind of like the Martini racing uh, colors. Yeah, it's a, oh no, sorry, the golf, the golf livery. Yeah, a little bit like the golf. Yeah. It's a, it's a very it's a very cool watch. Um, I got this before I got my Speedmaster, and uh, I like it. It just doesn't get enough wrist time, and I got a great deal on it. So I figured rather than trying to sell it on the forums, I would uh, give a little bit back to the community and uh, and give it away. So we'll we'll see who the lucky winner is. So is there a reason why you were giving away aside from that as of hitting a milestone, or or you just wanted to get more followers on Instagram? What was that? What was some was to get more followers, um, okay. and some was just to give it a shot, um, see a uh, common experiment, see how uh, the giveaway would work. And uh, you know, it's been a very positive experience. Um, more people uh, that I've have been exposed to my page and who I've ended up following as well. And uh, cool. you know, we'll find it this way. I'll find it in a new home with someone that uh, is more likely to be you know interested in watches rather than just you know picking it up and put and, and not wearing it much. So that's the hope anyway. No, that's that's super cool, and uh, that's a good watch to give away. I mean, that's that's a very very nice watch. So whoever whoever wins it, yeah, congrats, <laughs> congrats ahead of time. But today's topic, so this is this is crazy. It's affecting everybody, not just the watch industry, and is the coronavirus. So everybody's talking about it. Everybody's panicking, um, including myself. No. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we wanted to wanted to bring you on and, and just kind of talk about it, right? So, a lot of people announced they were leaving Basel World, right? Just left and right, and they were saying it was a coronavirus. A bunch of people were saying it, it was BS. They just thought that the show was dying, and you know, Citizen Bulova pulled out. And then what happened, Fred or P? You guys want to go into it? 
So I canceled SIHH first or Watching mm-hmm. Wonders. Right. And then was what, a week after? A week and a half after or so? Yeah. Well, be- be- as well. but before <laughs> they canceled it, I think they got their first case of coronavirus in Switzerland, right? I think that's kind of... Yeah. yeah, that was kind of the, um, I guess, kind of the initial push was uh, obviously they had that. And then, but like the writing had started to be on the wall, I think, especially when SIHH canceled. It was like, all right, they were going to be back to back. The people who would have gone to SIHH, and we've seen this across the world that different events have been canceled. Omega canceled its events. Um, Grand Seiko canceled its ones as well. Like we've seen this sort of building up in terms of preparation because these are big events that attract a lot of people from all over the world, including a lot of areas that have been in, that have shown a lot of cases. So it was, I'd say, it was predictable, especially since there hasn't seemed to be as much headway yet in terms of sort of uh, slowing it down or, or curing it. So I, 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 it's not that surprising. And yeah, Basel World is not having a good year. <laughs> hey. Yeah, yeah, but the, the interesting thing is they, they didn't cancel it, right? They postponed it, which we all know that I don't think it's coming back. What do, what do you guys think? Uh, this year, I don't think so. No, but I mean, next year, do you think it's coming back? I mean, you think it's pretty much dead? I mean, uh, I think they I think they really need to pull a rabbit out of the hat and do something really creative for them to bring it back next year. But I don't think it's impossible. Um, right. What is it they need to do then? What is it they need to do then? Well, they need to do what a lot of these other uh, shows have done and make it more consumer-centric. It's right. no longer... From what, what we've seen with what people talk about the last year's Basel World and one before, it's becoming less and less relevant to just do essentially a big sort of uh, full of spectacle trade show. You know, it needs to involve consumers. That's the way to get people excited for it. I personally think they need to move closer to the model like you have with the Geneva Auto Show, which makes tons of money by letting the public come in and see all the new car releases. So I don't see why they don't just do the similar sort of thing with Basel World. So could this have been like a heaven sent for companies who don't get like a big enough attention as Rolex at Basel World? I'm not sure because a lot of it would depend on, I guess, the business arrangement they have with Basel World, whether this sort of thing is refundable, what the economic implications are of them postponing it. So like it, it could be a scenario that some of these ones who were still committed to it, um, you know, they, what happens if they lost their money for their place? or if it's tied up in this whole postponement, then they've now lost the platform to promote their watches. And on top of that, right. they lost where they invested in doing so. But on the flip side, maybe they got refunds, maybe this postponement, maybe there is a, a contingency plan already in, fact, in effect for it that will end up being beneficial. It's too early to tell, in my opinion. Right. But like going back on what we had talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, when we had kind of said, I think it was, who had pulled out... Uh, a few weeks ago, was it uh, Casio and um, Seiko? Who was it? Um, yes, Casio and Seiko both pulled out. Okay, and we had did that podcast, and we was kind of saying like they're kind of using the coronavirus as like as an excuse to pull out. Yeah, but just looking at some of the other events, like it's not just Basel World. You got the Mobile World Congress that has canceled events. Facebook's even canceled the Global Marketing Summit. 
Milan Furniture Fair, Global Fashion Week. Even the Dalai Lama has canceled out his engagements. So, like, this thing is, like, serious. Yeah. You know, so. So, Doctor, yeah. what's what's your opinion on all this? I mean, do you think Basel World's coming back? I know it's it's kind of a temporary thing because of the coronavirus, but it was a dying show anyways. What are your opinions on that? Yeah, I think that they'll either evolve or they'll die. So they'll change their focus, um, more, either more consumer-centric or I've heard you know, some people say that it may be more of a Rolex world uh, kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, which, which would have an audience. But I think they either need to change or, it's, or the show is going to die. Uh, and you know, I think every, the writing was on the wall you know, as soon as you know, most, the, the first of these dominoes started to fall with people pulling out, probably from Swatch Group even. Uh, previously yeah. so we'll we'll see about that regarding the, the coronavirus um, you know I, I think that we don't know uh, if if this is being overly cautious not cautious enough or, or correct there's very wide variation in the predictions of, of the coronavirus you know pandemic it is worldwide spread of a disease which would meet the definition of a pandemic um, some experts say that the coronavirus has probably peaked uh, as far as new cases and um, morbidity and mortality, and some people think this will go on through, you know, next year at the, at the least. Um, so I, I think that given that uncertainty, um, it, you know, it makes sense to cancel things that maybe aren't necessary. You wouldn't want people, you know, a large outbreak of disease at, you know, at Basel World. As bad as canceling it is, that would be, you know, much worse from a PR and from a, you know, just every standpoint really. Yeah, so, without, uh, I think I think that would be probably, like you said, a very bad PR result if you have an outbreak of coronavirus at one of these big shows. So my my question, and this may be the most ignorant question ever, but I, I need to ask because I've been wondering. Uh, so coronavirus is just like another form of a cold, right? So you get it, it just probably affects you in a different way. But the question that I have is when you get better, does the coronavirus leave the system or is it almost like one of those diseases where it's dormant in your body and it just never leaves and it could possibly come back? And the reason I ask that is because I've seen several cases where people claim to be, I got rid of it, but now I got it again. So it's just kind of concerning, you know? So, so just to back up, um, going forward, I want to start with a disclaimer. Um, so I am boarded in internal medicine and cardiology board certified. Um, I am not an infectious disease specialist. I have not taken care of any patients with uh, the coronavirus uh, because there have not been any cases in my area. Um, so, you know, my my thoughts and statements here are based on you know my understanding of the medical and uh, you know popular literature, and uh, I'll try and keep my personal opinions uh, to a minimum uh, when it comes to the disease information. Um, so, coronavirus. Um, the name is really are either COVID-19, C-O-V-I-D, or SARS-CoV-2. Uh, and it is a type of coronavirus. There are many different types. Uh, coronaviruses are RNA viruses. Um, you know, people uh, in mammals and mammals and most animals, it's DNA. So RNA is less stable and mutates faster. Um, so that, that can be one reason why coronaviruses can jump from species. So we think that this coronavirus started, uh, it was first, uh, transmitted to humans, uh, at an open air, um, 
animal market in Wuhan, China. Uh, and that's and probably from a, either a bat or a bat that went through an intermediary uh, to a person. So some coronaviruses do cause common colds, but this strain is you know, much more what we say virulent or, or serious than the strains that just cause you know the usual common cold. Okay. So we don't know at this point if the coronavirus is stays in your system then, or does it do you so, just get better? And so, so what we do know is that there's an incubation period um, after you're exposed. Um, between two and 14 days, usually, where you don't have any symptoms, but uh, you have the virus and can transmit the virus. Um, and the average is about six days of an incubation period. There was one case up to 27 days. Um, your body fights the virus, uh, and if you do you know, survive, then it's not a virus that would reactivate in your system. You'd have immunity. You could be exposed again and get sick again, but it's not the one at this point that we think about uh, laying dormant and reactivating. Okay. Now, speaking of exposure, I know people are maybe overreacting with this whole face mask thing. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, do they work? Do they not work? If they're not N95 rated or whatever, I mean, do they serve a purpose? So the coronavirus is transmitted by respiratory droplets. And you can think of those as kind of large particles, you know, uh, things like that. Um, So the thought is that face masks are probably most effective if worn by people who are actually sick to prevent from coughing and expelling those respiratory droplets. Um, It is recommended, especially in China right now, to have face masks for people to reduce their risk of um, contracting the coronavirus. We don't really know what the efficacy of, of that is. Most of the recommendations for prevention of spread are you know, pretty standard hygiene recommendations, same as they would be for the annual flu, washing your hands uh, multiple times per day, not being uh, around people who have been exposed or, or who are sick. And then there are separate uh, recommendations for healthcare workers who have to be exposed because they're taking care of patients. So does, does uh, getting a flu shot actually help this or not? No. So a flu shot would not help the coronavirus. However, there is some thought that if you got the coronavirus, you'd be more susceptible to flu. Mm. Um, so the flu, you know, because of just the number of people who get flu, um, there will be far more cases of flu and far more deaths from flu, uh, at least in the short to intermediate term in the United States. Uh, That being said, the coronavirus is more deadly. So the estimated uh, mortality rate of coronavirus is about 3%. There have been about 90,000 cases and 3,000 deaths uh, that have been reported so far. Those numbers may or may not be the most accurate, mostly because of China uh, and other countries not wanting to share, you know, up-to-date, accurate data because it reflects poorly on them. Um, the SARS epidemic in 2004, I'm sorry, 2002 and 2003, there were 8,000 cases and 770 deaths, so about a 10% death rate from the SARS virus, which which coronavirus is related to, and then the MERS virus, the Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, Syndrome. Uh, that was, I believe, in 2015, it was a 30% death rate, but it was a much smaller and much more contained outbreak. And, mm. Doctor, just to 
clarify, are these fatalities that are coming from, are those coming directly from the coronavirus or from auxiliary infections that come due to the immune system being affected by contracting the coronavirus? Like, are people dying directly from it or are they then contracting something else that ends, that ends up um, uh, taking their lives? That's a very good question. Uh, it looks like, as of right now, that most of the deaths from coronavirus are due to a viral pneumonia from the coronavirus, uh, not due to a secondary infection with a bacterial uh, pneumonia, which we see commonly in people that, uh, that die from influenza, from flu. Okay. Um, so it looks like right now it's probably the coronavirus uh, itself, but again, it's still early, uh, early on. Most of the people that do, um, that do die from the coronavirus, I think uh, 75 per- to 80% are over 65 years old and 75% have a significant medical comorbidity or medical problem uh, before the coronavirus exposure. So it tends to be older, sicker people who have the worst outcomes. There are some younger uh, people who have died, including the doctor in China who really made this uh, epidemic known. Uh, he, he died after uh, being exposed to a case uh, as a healthcare provider. He was 33 years old. Mm. Wow. Mm. Now, I heard, I mean, it might be a rumor or not, but something about the eyes. You could get the virus through your eyes. Is that, did they prove Um, that? You know, I I don't know that for a fact, but most viruses that travel this way, you can get through the eyes. You know, the eyes are a mucous membrane, uh, you know, similar to your mouth where um, it's much easier. You know, their skin is a very good barrier against infection. So places like your eyes uh, and your mouth are places where, uh, infections can get in. So I don't know that for a fact, but I would think that very likely it could be transmitted through the eyes. And uh, the recommendations are not to rub your eyes, uh, you know, more than you need to or anything like that as far as to reduce transmission. So it's not like you get it through the air and it goes inside of your eyes. It's more like it's in your hands and you're rubbing it in. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? So, so it travels by larger droplets. Um, so we think that it has to be an exposure to in the general vicinity of somebody that's ill. Um, the one exception to that would be th- things called fomites. So if someone that's exposed touches, you know, we'll say an exam table or, um, you know, hand railing, the virus does live for some time there and you can pick it up that way. Uh, it's not known the exact kind of rates of transmission and how effective that is, but there definitely have been cases uh, where people have transmitted it through an intermediate uh, surface. But we don't think you can just get it from, from the air, from being aerosolized into the air uh, without being generally close to someone that has it. Got it. So until we figure this whole thing out, what's your recommendation for people then? Should they just stay home? Should they not go out? Should they be panicked? I mean, Well, I, certainly don't panic. Um, that's, that's not going to help anything um i I think it's it's very early in all of this you know there have only been a few cases in the united states um we don't know which way this is going to to go uh you know the sars epidemic in 2002-2003 was you know went at a very fast pace and then was controlled very quickly um, because of public health efforts including quarantines and excuse me travel restrictions and things like that so i think in general what you want to do is the things that reduce the risk of transmission the most without, you, you know, influencing your, your life in a negative way. So that would obviously be staying away from people who are infected, 
uh, if, if you can do that, uh, if you're not a healthcare worker. Um, if you are exposed um, or you may be exposed, you know, hand washing, possibly a surgical mask, um, exam gloves, nitrile gloves, um, to reduce the risk of picking the, the virus up. Uh, and then the main thing is that people who feel ill need to stay home. So everyone doesn't need to stay home, but if you feel ill, um, it's very important that you not transmit this to other people. Um, in, one, in one study, at least 99% of people with coronavirus ended up, had a fever at some point. So anyone with a fever really should not be, you know, in areas where they're around a lot of people and should limit their contact as much as possible. Got it. Now, you as a medical professional, have you guys been, you and your colleagues, been pulled to the side and said, hey, this is how we're going to handle this? Or is nobody talking about it and you just go to work, you know, as per usual? Or There have been emails. Um, they're definitely ramping up the um, kind of preventative health um, isolation measures. Um, the reality is that this kind of transmission, it's, like I said, similar to influenza. We have... Um, we have protocols in place to, to deal with it. The real, the real question and the real issue may be the scope of the coronavirus um, pandemic. And if it gets to a level where we don't have enough respirators to treat patients uh, who need, we don't have enough masks or gloves, you know, that could be a major problem. But as far as the actual protocols, um, you know, those are already in place for other diseases. Um, some of it is the availability of coronavirus testing uh, which is being worked out at a federal level right now. Hopefully they come up with a, with a vaccine, right? I mean, they're working on it, I heard. but uh... Yeah, the best, the best information that I've heard is that we're looking at at least a year until a vaccine. A year, wow. <laughs> um, and, and, and there are not effective antiviral treatments uh, like there are for, let's say, influenza. Uh, there isn't a pill that you can take to treat the coronavirus. It's really supportive care. Um, treating, you know, mainly the respiratory symptoms. Although people do have GI symptoms from coronavirus, that's one important thing. So you know, they can present with almost like a quote-unquote stomach flu uh, before they develop respiratory symptoms. And that's important for people to know uh, as far as limiting their exposure to other people. Oh, that's pretty crazy. It's crazy. Well, speaking of, uh, it's kind of, you know, staying this whole thing about Basel World and coronavirus being uh, canceled or whatever, Rolex, everybody's uh, speculating what they're going to release, what's going to happen. There was a hype around it. So now with Basel World being canceled, I mean, do you guys think they're still going to release new models? Or are they going to hold out until 2021? What are you guys oh, thoughts? Of course they're going to release. They're, they're still a business. They still have models that they've sunk a lot of money into development for. I think, of course, they're going to release. But how is largely going to depend on what communication they have with the Basel World organizers in terms of this postponement or and also from there just what their own delivery timelines are in my opinion i kind of feel like they may go on this big social media campaign you know create their own event maybe so yeah my thought is that basel world needs need basel world uh and and they'll be they'll be just fine releasing things on their timeline whenever whenever they'd like one uh one piece of trivia uh, coronavirus, the word corona comes from the Latin for crown um, because of the way it looks under an electron microscope. So if you want to put out conspiracy theories about Rolex and Basel World, feel free. I, I, won't, <laughs> I, 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 won't, I won't do that, though. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. That's funny. Well, here, here's, 
here's an interesting thought then. And uh, like you guys said, right? Basel World needs Rolex, not the other way around. So if Rolex this time around puts out the releases via social media and realizes, hey, we just saved millions of dollars and we're still getting the same hype. Do you think that'll be the nail on the coffin for Basel World? Because if Rolex is out, we all know that's pretty much like all Basel World is. So what do you guys think? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Unless right? it becomes Patek World. Yeah. Like two main attractions left. Obviously, there's tons of brands that still display there. But the two main draws from the watch world, because we need to remember also, it is also a jewelry show, if I'm not mistaken. The two main draws from the watch world are Rolex and Patek. That's, those are sort of the two biggest players standing in terms of hype. So, yeah, I think mm. probably that'll be the nail in the coffin. I think different factions from the remaining um, participants will probably spin off and make their own little shows. But I think the direction it's going is that these shows will get you know, smaller and smaller unless they do some sort of drastic change to reignite interest into one big show a year. Yeah, I guess you guys are right. But uh, I just think of Rolex pulls out. I mean, Patek is a big player, but Rolex is all about Rolex. Go on YouTube, Basel World Predictions. Just type that in, and you're going to see nothing but Rolex, 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 and that's all they talk about. You know what I mean? And not only that, Patek doesn't really need the marketing either. You know, they have their rabbit following already. There's a lot of people who sort of, the people who are interested, the people who are going to be buying Patek's, They'll know regardless. Patek will probably invite them to private things with or without Basel World just Correct. to make them feel special just because of the stratosphere that their customers play in. Yeah, no, sounds good. Well, let to, me to, to play devil's advocate here. Um, you know, Rolex has shown over time two things. Number one, it doesn't seem like they care about their profits nearly as much as they could um, just based on their kind of sales and production of, of steel sports models. Um, they have basically unlimited demand at this point, and, and they don't meet it. Uh, and they're very conservative. Um, does Rolex even have That's a social, a social um, marketing campaign? Um, I, I've not seen it. They don't really have a presence on Instagram that, that I've seen. So I, I would think that you know they would they would err toward the side of keeping things the way they are. You know, it's a big deal when Rolex puts a. a a bracelet they already have on a watch they already have. That, that's the new release. So let alone trying to do a whole new marketing strategy um, for, for new releases. So so I, I think that they may stay in Basel. Um, but I think a lot of the other brands uh, will, will cut and run. That's a, that's a very good point. Rolex is definitely of the school of thought of evolution versus revolution. And even at that, they tend to go at a snail's pace. Um, with regards to them not really addressing or too concerned about their profits, that's largely because technically it is a non-profit. Um, I believe the profits are supposed to be funneled to, um, or it's owned or run by a charity that was established by Hans Wilsdorf. Um, I'm not sure what the exact economics of it are in terms of that, who controls it and whatnot, but I know that their company structure probably largely influences how they make certain decisions and don't exactly, as you say, sort of pander directly to the huge demand that there is. Um, and that probably also affects even just the pace of their development and their rollouts as well. That's a good point. So do you know why it was set up as a nonprofit? Just to avoid taxes or what was... <laughs> no, no. I think it was something that Hans Wilsdorf left um, sort of in his will when he, when he passed. I know it was his intention for it to pass into that. I don't know the exact specifics of it, but it was something to that effect that was sort of... Um, it was Hans Wilsdorf's intention for it to pass to that after he passed away. 
That is very interesting. Uh, I would love to see what uh, what it helps. I mean, if it's a nonprofit, typically they they help some kind of some kind of cost or something, right? So I, I yeah, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> All right, well, doctor, something I know you wanted to kind of talk about as well was the Apple Watch and how it helps you in your daily life as a doctor. Oh. Yeah, I wanted to speak on the Apple Watch as a medical device. Um, so in the, in the watch community, watch nerd community, watch podcast community, whatever, uh, however you want to classify it, um, there's a lot of hate for the Apple Watch. Uh, yep. And uh, I think I mentioned before, you know, that's kind of what really got me back into wearing a watch was, was the Apple Watch. And uh, I quickly decided that I'd rather have, you know, a mechanical timepiece than a than a computer on my wrist, but um, I do appreciate it uh, in terms of a of a medical device. And I posted on this on my Instagram. But my uh, six year old daughter was diagnosed with type one diabetes in October. Oh, wow. um, just kind of out of out of nowhere, unexpected. It doesn't harm the family or anything. And um, actually, we've been u- using her app or the Apple Watch that I gave to her uh, as part of her blood sugar monitor. Her her blood sugar goes from uh, the transmitter that she has on her monitor, which is usually in her arm, to the Apple Watch and shows her what her blood glucose is. Uh, and also, if we need to text her about if she's too high or too low, it, it pops up there. Um, so it's a, been a really helpful tool um, as far as that's concerned. So um, it may not have the same nostalgia and, uh, and looks as a, as a mechanical timepiece, but it is tremendously useful uh, as a medical device for people who need it. Wow, right. I don't know. You can use it as as that what you just mentioned. That's that's pretty crazy. I know it, it uh, monitored your heart rate, but I don't know the whole thing about the di- diabetics. I mean, right. that, that could that's that's huge, especially for somebody like you as a parent, you know, and having a I don't know. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, it, and, and her and her blood glucose pops up on our phones. We get an alarm if it's too high or too low. So I mean, really. You know, obviously, you wouldn't want this to, to happen to anyone at any time, but uh, being a two-physician household and you know having all this technology certainly makes it a lot easier uh, to, to deal with. Um, also, regarding the heart rate monitor, I very often, with patients who come in with palpitations, so a feeling of skipped heartbeats or extra heartbeats, if they have an Apple Watch, I'll have them use that to monitor for arrhythmias rather than trying to put an mm. external monitor with leads on them uh, if, I'm, if I'm not overly concerned because it'll catch... Uh, most important things and it's much less intrusive than having to wear you know leads that are that are taped to the skin under under your clothes yeah and are there sorry are there apps out there that um that can collect data on things like your heart rate like if you have someone who is a heart patient who has a heart condition are there apps out there that can fluctuations like that you can then use when you have up or like is there a way for you to sort of uh, either make deductions or just understand the patient better by seeing like history collected via apps and monitoring of vitals and stuff like that through the Apple watch? So I'm most familiar with the stock Apple apps that come on the watch. Um, But there is monitoring for a condition called atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat, uh, which is associated with a higher risk of stroke. Um, which is something that we really want to know if a patient has. So there is monitoring for atrial fibrillation built into the Apple Watch. Um, there is heart rate monitoring as far as high and, and low uh, heart rates as well that are part of Apple's 
um, stock apps. And then also you can actually do a two lead EKG by using the sensor that's underneath the Apple watch and then putting your finger on the crown uh, to show an electrocardiogram uh, on the watch yeah. as well. So it's, it's pretty cool. Okay. Well, hmm. Yeah. I don't know. You could do an EKG. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a cool tool to use. I think like for most people, uh, the problem with the Apple Watch is how often you will have to update it with technology moving forward so fast and undoubtedly getting better. You know what I mean? So And, and, char- and charge it as well. I mean, you have to charge it every other day or, or more often. I tried to I tried to double wrist and uh, I, I couldn't pull that off. Uh, Jack Forrester from Odin <laughs> mm, can do yeah. it, but uh, no, it wasn't for me. So the, the Apple Watch was... Uh, was given away to my daughter and uh, I've not worn it since. Funny you should mm. mention that because my wife for Christmas, I, I forget, I'm sorry, but something, some holiday, uh, she she had an Apple Watch, the Generation 3, I believe, for quite some time, a few years. And, you know, we saw the new one that came out and she's like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, I may have some new fe- features, look a little different. So I got it for her, right? So here I was, and you could see on my Instagram, I actually took a picture of her old one and she takes really good care of her stuff and 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 yes i actually heard that hoodinky episode and i was like well this is not the new one that i'm that i have in my hands but it does have that heart monitor and any of your text messages and whatnot and i was like i should try to double risk it lasted literally like half an hour i just couldn't <laughs> do it i'm like i look ridiculous like how am i gonna wear a watch and then this other thing on my other wrist it just doesn't make any sense so I think they should come out with a device kind of like a Fitbit or something even smaller where it does help you monitor your health, but it doesn't look ridiculous on you. You know what I mean? So, Well, there's actually a Kickstarter where they have um, a sensor built into a watch buckle that goes on a strap and actually can convert a regular watch into having some smart watch features. Mm. That's pretty I think cool. I think doubled in something like that. Or maybe it was Frederick Constant. It was Frederick Constant. Yeah, they similar to that. They they have a horological smartwatch that's built into the I think it's built into the watch as well. Ferrari Constant does, uh, but this this buckle you can put on any watch. Uh, and, yeah, I forget the name of the company, but it looked kind of cool. Um, to be honest, most of the fitness tracking stuff is in your phone. So if you have your phone on you and you're walking around, it's already tracking your steps and your stairs and all of that. Um, so the mar- you know the marginal benefit of having the watch, other than the heart rate, to me is kind of low. It's some people I know, it's a it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. But the good thing is this that um, it was Jean Claude Beaver who said like one of the good things about the smartwatch for the watch market is it gets people into the idea of having a watch, spending money for something on your wrist. It it sort of provides a gateway towards that, which I think is really cool. Like I think anything that gets people into this hobby one way or the other is always a good start. And uh, like at the end of the day, the more people that get into it, the more this community grows. So I think I definitely think that it's between its utility, like it's obvious utility and the fact that it can potentially get people in the watches. I don't think it's right that people sort of shit on them within the watch community because it's everything has its place, you know? Correct. Completely agree. Yeah. And people forget it's like uh, watches were tools at one point, right? I mean, people use them as a tool. And then it just became this fashion accessory, kind of like let's call it what it is, just a luxury item. But now the Apple Watch comes out, and it's not really a fashion item. It's a utility. It's a tool. So it's like people, if you're really into the watch world and you know your history, then your people should be bashing your Speedmaster and your something that they, they don't. You know what I mean? So like, like you said, everybody has this – everything has its place in the, in the watch world. Absolutely. So. 
So I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I don't nothing against the Apple Watch. I I still wouldn't wear one, but I would wear one if I had a heart condition for sure, a hundred percent. I'll be wanting to check my heart and and my steps and calories burned or whatever, you know. So I would I would definitely dabble into that. But that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I I definitely wanted to talk about it because I know it's something that you wanted to talk about. So I I think that's pretty important. But uh, let's talk some watch news. So I know some watches came up, and we kind of want to discuss. And one of the one of the ridiculous ones for me that I saw was that G Shock. So it's uh, it's a Bruce Lee special, guys, right? Let me see. Was it really that ridiculous, Miguel? Not the watch itself. I think the watch is really cool. I think the price is ridiculous. Four thousand dollars for a G Shock. I think it's a little yes. much. P. How much does the regular version of it normally run? One hundred and thirty. One hundred and thirty. It's a pretty big markup. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge markup. So for people listening, this is the MR what MRG series, and I think it's a higher tier for Mr. G. The Mr. G. Mr. G. Yeah. Well, shock resistant, magnetic resistant, uh, super luminator, afterglow, tough solar, GPS signal reception, auto receive. Right. Right. So we got all like the, the 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 buttons that you could get like on a cheaper G Shock too, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, yeah. The only thing that really make this thing special to me is that it's Bruce Lee. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the uh, the game of uh, I think it was the game of death where he had on the same color as the watch. Yeah, you know the I mean? uh, right. The right. So, you know, it was a. Uh, that's pretty dope. How many how many pieces are they doing of it? Three hundred. Uh, Three hundred. Yes. Yeah. Well, a, at least it's a decent number. Like that's that's always my biggest problem with Omega when they do limited editions. They do like six or seven thousand. It's like you kind of lose the, the sort of limited nature of it when they do that many. Right. It's out of stock, actually. Well, no, it actually comes out. It comes out in March or did it already come out in March? I think did it come out already? <laughs> I don't even know. I'm on the G Shock website. It does say out of stock, so I don't yeah. know if they sold out. But if they sold out, of course, the people buying them, they're probably just gonna hold on to them. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, this is straight from the G Shock website. It's a black watch face. It's offset with yellow and red highlights, which are representative of colors of Jet Kundo, which I think it's the martial art that that Bruce Lee developed or something. Oh, yeah. here it says, a yeah. martial art form started by Bruce Lee himself. Yes. Mm-hmm. The vessel and back cover are engraved with 12 Chinese characters that state the main tenets of Jet Kune Do. You see no way as way. Having no limitations is limitation. At the 3 o'clock on the face is Bruce Lee's signature, which is a Chinese character of Dragon. So, yeah, this is a special edition, 300 pieces. Uh, and it's decoded with an embroidered uh, dragon image on the box. So... I think it looks pretty cool, but four thousand dollars. Would you guys buy this watch? No, no. doctor. <laughs> would you buy this watch? <laughs> so uh, my mom told me if I didn't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Um, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll skip on this one. I will say when I when I googled for the Bruce Lee G Shock, that GA two thousand one A nine popped up, which looks quite similar for one hundred and thirty dollars at Macy's. So mm-hmm. uh, I, would, I, I would probably go that way. Um, Bruce Lee actually was a big watch guy. Um, was and, he? Yeah, so he's kind of known to wear a Seiko speed timer, the 6139, 6010 black speed timer. 
uh, on a special Chrysler racing bracelet, um, which is one of the Pogue generations, similar to the, the Pulsations one uh, that I have. Uh, and also he had a universal Genev pole router that oh, he wow. wore on a braided bun strap that sold for about 30K uh, mm. in 2019. That was a worn, and wound, a worn and wound article about that. So I'd rather have a pole router and the speed timer and some cash in my pocket than that G-Shock. But that's just me. Wow, that's pretty right. interesting. We got to do an episode about Bruce Lee. Didn't know that he uh, had watches like that. So, <laughs> I just struggled to understand the crazy markup because, like, so five years ago for his seventy-fifth birthday, Hublot did a Bruce Lee edition of the Spirit of Big Bang, right? And that, now granted, like on the pre-owned market, it sells for a fair bit more, but that sold for about thirty thousand US Ooh. versus the regular. Bear with me, right? It's in black ceramic and skeletonized uh, movement, all that, and it's an Hublot. But the corresponding regular uh, Spirited Big Bang, still in black ceramic, is 26000 So it's only like a $4,000 markup. So that's oh, okay. what, 20% more? My terrible math doesn't fail me. Um, so a 20% markup versus this, which is what, like, I can't even compute in my head. A lot. 4000 <laughs> But to Something be fair, like to be fair, the the other one looks like it, but it's not the it's not a Mr. G. It's not, you know it doesn't have all the same tech. It's a you know similar appearing black and and yellow one. But uh, whatever the it's marked up from, it's marked up pretty crazily uh, just because it's Bruce Lee. So I'll pass. yeah, like as a percentage, the markup is gigantic. Yeah, but that's what um, I'm saying. Do you think who's going to be picking this up, Bruce Lee fanboys or people just to try to make a buck? They're going to buy it, not open it, and just kind of keep it and then try to resell it. So, I, mean, that's, I, think, that's, I, I can definitely see Bruce Lee fanboys picking this up. Yeah, like, he I has a, a huge following. Huge. You know? Yeah, maybe not even watch people, right? I mean, people that like watches but not like us, and maybe just right. because it's Bruce Lee, they're going to be like, oh, man, yeah. I got to have this yeah, in my collection. Is people you know? who are fanatic. I wouldn't be surprised if people who buy this are the same people who sold out 30 grand for the Hublot five years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, People, when they get into their sort of correct collector's uh, memorabilia and, like, honoring certain people, figures, or, you know, themes, money isn't an object for some of those people. They spend what they can to get anything that pays homage to whoever or whatever they're following. Right. So That's are y'all true. into martial arts? Uh, do y'all place Bruce Lee number one of y'all martial arts? Uh, well, you know. I mean... Growing up, of course, you know, growing up, you always want to be a ninja. So <laughs> for me, it was more, you know, I, was, I think I was like nine or 10 and I was in Taekwondo. So I did that for about a year and I got really into it. And of course, one of the big idols for me was Jean-Claude Van Damme, right? Because he was hugely popular in the 90s and now he was kind of like my idol. So not so much Bruce Lee, but more that guy. But yeah, Bruce Lee was super cool. I mean, a lot of cool stuff. But, yeah, I'm not into old, like, kung fu movies and stuff like that. I can't say that I am. Yeah, Bruce, you know, Bruce Lee's a, you know, he's a martial arts icon. He's a style icon. Died young. Uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot there. But uh, I'll, I'll be passing on his, his new timepiece. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Fred? Um, and, like, I was never too heavy into martial arts, but if I did have to pick a particular martial arts icon for me growing up or martial arts uh, I guess uh, highlight it would definitely be Jackie Chan I saw more of his movies than like Bruce Lee I ended up discovering sort of later in life whereas like when I was younger like it was more Jackie Chan was like my face of martial arts 
essentially. Especially like oh yeah, for Russ sure. Horror, of course, got me that got me into that right away. Um, but yeah, like even seeing some of his other movies earlier and later ones, like that was always sort of the influence when it came to martial arts. Yeah, cool. no, that's cool. Well, we had other watches to talk about, but we're hitting that one hour mark. And this is the time in the show when we talk about other things aside from watches, whatever you guys want to talk about. So, Doctor, we'll let you go first. Anything you want to recommend, anything you've been watching, TV, food, personal stuff, whatever you want to talk about. This is your time to just talk about whatever. <laughs> sure. Um, so, between my wife and I and, and our schedules, we're, we're very behind the uh, cultural zeitgeist these days. Um, so, we watched Joker last night, which I thought mm. was was good great movie great movie. Um, not the most enjoyable movie <laughs> there's definitely a you know excellent acting uh, by Joaquin by phoenix and then uh, we're watching fleabag um slowly you know an episode every week uh to two weeks uh and then i also just read the book longitude um which is about how the um you know the europeans tried to fix longitude uh and ended up being with a marine chronometer, so watches are very much uh, a central part, and, and timepiece is a central part of the story. So I'd recommend that book if anybody uh, has some time. It's pretty short and it's an easy read, but it's interesting. Oh, very cool! Yeah, that's super cool. cool. All right, next guys. Well, you already know where I'm going with it. Uh, no, Star, no, no, Star Wars. Man, you took mine. Star Wars, uh, the, the Clone Wars, Episode Two, Season Seven. Dropped this weekend. It was excellent. The only thing that's really pissing me off about it, I, I hate. I love what I love about Netflix is when they have a series, they just put the whole series out, the whole season. Oh yeah, you know Disney doesn't, right? Right, right. Got to wait every week, but it's all good though. It was a great episode. I also made it through season three of Star Wars Rebels, so I'm getting ready for season five of that. So you know, a lot of great shit coming up. Uh, I don't know if you heard Fred. Because I know Miguel ain't really heard, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, Star Wars: The High, uh, The High Republic, about to drop this summer, 2020. Oh, August. really? They're finally doing it. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's it's coming August 2020. So it's supposed to be like this big thing, like with movies and comics. And so. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Ross, if I wanted to pick up one Star Wars related show, what would you recommend? Clone In- Wars, Mandalorian. What do you think? Definitely Mandalorian. Okay. Definitely. Really? Over Clone Wars? Yeah. I yeah. I, I would say the Mandalorian because you could get through the Mandalorian quicker, and it's live action. You know what That's I'm saying? I, I don't really know if you know what I'm saying. Uh, he's into uh, like the anime and cartoonish like stuff, so. The Mandalorian, definitely. Okay. You know. Yeah. And then it has Baby Yoda. So Baby Yoda. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Baby Yoda is coming this month at Build a Bear. <laughs> I will I will be copping Baby Yoda. So you're gonna be you're gonna... I'm waiting to see your baby Yoda review. Oh, it's on the popper, man. It's on the popper. <laughs> Are you gonna wait in line there, P? Are you gonna sleep I, I, in the bar? I, I, I don't I don't have to do all that because I work in the mall. So I just put my order in, go to work, come back, and it's done. Nice. I ain't got to wait. Sounds <laughs> pretty cool. Fred? Oh, well, Pete took mine. I was going to say the Clone you can, Wars. You can still fun. talk about it, Fred. Talk about Please it. Please don't. Get into it. Get into it. <laughs> I think the last time we talked about it, like, we ended up going, like, an hour over time. Yes, right. I think you did. <laughs> uh, my other stuff, well, my other stuff would be, obviously, that uh, 
I'm we kind of did it at the beginning, which was that I was in Dubai last week. So that was an amazing trip. Apart from all the watch stuff, it was really, really cool. Um, just because like, cause I hadn't been there in 15 years. Like I, I used to live in Abu Dhabi and I used to go to Dubai every month. And like every month it would change. And this was like back in the early 2000s. So having a 15-year gap, it was pretty much literally another city. Um, and it's just amazing, like the level of like diversity that you see there. You know, I, I heard all sorts of different languages, different cultures, different cuisines. It's it's like any multicultural city you can think of that you may have been to. It's that times a hundred in terms of its level of diversity, which was really really cool. Um, and then uh, and then cool. also apart from really nice cars, there's insane architecture i saw the Burj khalifa which is the tallest building in the world it's quite tall I, I have mm-hmm. it's, it's quite big <laughs> so if, if, if you had to choose uh out of all the foods that you ate there what would be your favorite what would you take oh, away man. and if i'm honest y'all are gonna be very unimpressed with it and because, what like, about what car would you take away that you think okay i'll do the food one first um y'all are gonna be very unimpressed with my choice but uh, I'm not sure if uh, the good doctor knows, but I live in India where um, they don't eat beef. So I, when, I got to, um, when I got to Dubai, I hadn't eaten beef in six months. Mm. And the one thing that I said, I landed and I met up with, met up with a friend of mine. And he said, all right, you know, where do you want to go eat? Cheeseburgers. Yeah. I, I yeah. literally said, said, man, I have not had beef in six months. I want a hamburger mm. and nothing else. <laughs> And honestly, that is that was my that was like my highlight takeaway. It was like just so nice eating beef again. Right. Um. So that's definitely, especially because I'm back in India now. Definitely, the food I would bring with me is more hamburgers. Mm. Um. But in terms of cars, well, I saw a lot of really nice cars. Uh, on the first day, I saw a Bugatti Chiron, which kind of set the tone. But um, probably what I would take back is there was a really nice um. It was on my last day. It was in front of my hotel. It was a uh, Ferrari 512 Testarossa from the 80s. That is such a cool car. It mm. is so ridiculously over the top and in so unashamedly 80s. Like, you got to do it. You know? That's a cool car. Cool. Very nice. So I'm going to end on a, on a weird note, as I usually do, because I like the more obscure uh, shows and things about homicide and death why don't ask me why but i've been watching the series called the trials of gabriel hernandez so this child was here in the city of angels where where i'm from los angeles and basically this is a trial that happened uh, or something that the death that happened in 2013 so i won't spoil the whole thing but it's a five episode series on netflix and it basically talks about what transpired with his death and you get to see firsthand from the prosecutors and the EMTs and doctors and everybody. And basically in a nutshell, what happened to this poor eight year old is he got tortured and murdered by his biological mom and stepfather. And it just kind of goes into the whole thing. And it just makes you so sick to your stomach, especially if you have kids, it just makes you angry. Like every episode, you're just like more angry and more angry. And it just, it, it just makes you realize that this so many monsters out there in the world and you're like i live in this little bubble where i do my own thing all the time right i go to work and i deal with my family i talk watches whatever but then you realize it's just like so many different people around the world and just for netflix to highlight stuff like this i it's pretty cool because it just 
puts you in a mindset where you're like, I just don't understand are these people sick in the head. I think they are. I mean, I, I just don't think a regular person could do this, you know? So it's, it's uh, one of those series that if you go into it, just beware because there's a lot of Im- images and, and, and pictures of the kid and they show how he was tortured and everything. And that's yeah, pretty sad. It's pretty sad stuff. Mm. So that's what I've been doing. Wow. It's, it's an hour long each episode and I have to wait until my son is asleep and then my wife doesn't like watching it for obvious reasons. She's not into that kind of stuff, especially because it has to do with a little boy. And she's like, no, I can't. I just can't do it. You mm. can watch that crap if you want. So I, I do. And, and it's been... People have been talking about it on the radio and on TV and friends, and it's just, it, it's, it's a good series. So, yeah, The Trials of Gabriel Hernandez, so cool. So my, my wife is a pathologist, and, uh, you know, as part of their training, they have to do rotations through the medical examiner's office and deal with, you know, crime scene autopsies and things like that. And uh, she hated it. It was by far her least favorite part of training. Um, so uh, we will not be watching that in my household. Mm. <laughs> yeah it's not it's not for everybody you know it's it's definitely even for me right i mean i i've seen a lot of pictures and things and it just i'm, I'm intrigued by this morbid stuff which is probably not good but I, I to me it's more just understanding the the human brain and how people can do this so when i watched this i kind of went in with like oh, okay you know this is this should be fine it's not gonna it's not gonna affect me in any kind of way but the first night, I honestly, I couldn't sleep. I just had some kind of nightmare about torture. And, and it's just weird because it's, it's a different level. It's like not torture to, a, to an adult. It's torture to like a little boy. And he was so innocent. And to know that before he died, it was almost Mother's Day. And he showed up to school with black eyes, his hair pulled out, cigarette burns. And the teacher was alarmed. And, and the, the crazy thing is that the system failed him because four social workers went at separate times within the eight months he lived with his parents and none of them did anything. Sheriff went to his house. None of them did anything. So at the end, the judge basically convicted the stepdad, the mom. And I'm into that episode where they're going to talk about what they're going to do to the social workers. So it's like mm. the whole system failed the poor kid. Yeah. But what I was getting at is that this kid has such, had such an innocent heart that the a month or you know less than a month before he got murdered he was already being tortured by his mom well it was going to be mother's day and the teacher's like well we're doing this mother's day project and she knew what was going on so she even asked him like oh dude it's okay if you don't want to participate he's like no i i, I want to so he even took pictures with like an m o m you know for mom and you could see in the pictures he was completely bruised up and everything and in the little artwork he put a little picture of himself and talked like oh mommy i love you and and this is so heartbreaking like man that lady was a monster to you yet you held like no resentment towards her you know what i mean and it's that's what gets in here like oh my god Mm, mm, mm. so yeah anyways (laughs) on that note yeah. yeah yeah on that note i'm sorry uh so yeah guys anything else you want to say doctor where can uh people find you uh, so Instagram at Dr. Watcherman. Uh, yes. I'm, uh, it's my only social uh, media presence. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. Fred P. Ross Wristwatch Love on our social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Get into uh, it. You can find me on YouTube, Chaluso, Instagram, Chaluso, Facebook, Chaluso, LinkedIn, Chaluso, MySpace, Chaluso, Fax, Chaluso, Telegram, Chaluso, WeChat, everywhere. Oh, and wherever it is, wherever it is, Fred Chaluso. And speaking of Facebook, make sure y'all go to the Facebook page for SoCal Watch Reviews. 
You know what I mean? Go ahead and like that page. Check it out. You know what I mean? You know, this episode will be featured on the Facebook page, so get into it. Yeah, and Fred, congrats on the 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. That's, yeah. That's, that's a huge thank milestone. Yeah, 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 congratulations. Yeah, thank congrats. You, thank you very much. That's, that's our goal, right, P? This year, we're going to hit 1,000. I don't know how, but we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Y'all get there. It's just a game of patience. Mine took me over a year, and now it's like... It's cool that I got it, but now it's like, all right, how do I get ten thousand? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Like it, more. yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's, it's, subscribers are like a drug. Sort of good. <laughs> you keep wanting more anyway. But yeah, no, thanks for the congratulations, and obviously, thanks to uh, thanks to you guys for supporting the channel, for you know inviting me on this podcast, for the exposure I've gotten from you guys, and thanks to anyone if any of my watchers are listening. Thank you to all y'all as well. It's uh, it's been a good first year and a bit. And let's hope the the road to ten thousand is even more fun. Yeah. yeah, sounds good. And me, you can find me SoCal Watch Reviews Instagram, YouTube. I'm almost at six hundred subscribers on YouTube. I just hit six hundred subscribers on Instagram yesterday, so that was pretty cool. Uh, P's doing a giveaway on his channel, right? You're giving away a citizen at the five hundred subscriber mark. So make yes. sure to go on YouTube if you want a chance to win that cool citizen watch with box, right? It comes with a box. Yeah. And then me yeah. at a thousand marks, which we're almost there. I'm giving away the Pagani Design uh, watch, which is a Rolex Mariner homage, which, by the way, my friend AB from Watch Collecting Strategies is making a video of. I let him borrow it. So he has some amazing macro photography and videography. And he's go to his page, check it out. He does some really good work with his camera. And he let me borrow his Orient Bambino, which I have right now and i'm working on a video on that so a review should be coming soon to my channel for the orient bambino but uh that's all the time we have guys so doctor thank you so much again for joining doctor. us thanks for having me gentlemen it was fun <laughs> yeah so guys thank you all and as always stay humble